This is In-House Insiders, a podcast from the Association of Corporate Counsel, where you'll hear from the most interesting in-house legal professionals in Australia. On the show, we'll explore their stories, the challenges they've faced along the way, and the lessons they've learned that have defined their careers. I'm your host, May Ramsey, and I'm the Group Executive Legal Governance and Regulatory Affairs at Medibank. Hi there, I'm Ingrid Sagota and I'm the Executive Director at ACC Australia. I'm filling in for May in today's episode. And today, I'm speaking to Kate Bennett, the General Counsel and Company Secretary at the leading men's health charity, Movember. For Kate's entire career, she's worked in in-house roles for government and social enterprises. And in 2020, she won the Australian Corporate Lawyer Award for -for Not-for-Profit Lawyer of the Year. In today's episode, you'll hear what it's like working at Movember. Kate will share what she's learned from such a long career in social enterprise and government roles, and she'll share her tips for other in-house counsel in similar positions. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining me on the show. Let's start by looking at the beginning. How did your career get started? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ingrid. I've definitely not taken the usual career path that lawyers do, that's for sure. I I was one of those people that went to uni, wasn't really intending to be a lawyer, didn't really know what I wanted to do, got into law school and kind of just thought I might as well do that while I'm figuring it out. I also studied the quite unusual combination of music industry economics. I don't think that that second degree exists these days, but I just really didn't know what to do going out of school. And so I went for a bit of variety and it probably has been the theme of my career for the last 15 years after leaving university. I finished studying and I sort of wasn't interested in private practice, which wasn't a problem because I certainly wasn't getting a lot of interest from firms either. I went and did a grad program with the Victorian government. What drew me to that, it was almost an opportunity to commit without committing. It was three rotations, four months each. They took, I guess, your preferences, but placed you. And so I had the opportunity to do a rotation in the Department of Transport doing commercial legal work. I did a rotation at the Department of Health, which was a non-legal role. It was in public health uh, in a program called Go For Your Life, which is about health literacy for young people. And the third rotation was at the Department of Justice in their Courts and Tribunals Unit. And interestingly, I thought that that Department of Justice rotation would be the one that I would love. And I sort of thought I'd give the rest a go, but I wasn't that excited about it. But over the course of that year, it was the rotation with the commercial legal team in transport that I really loved. And it kind of sparked an interest in in a legal career that I hadn't really discovered until that point. That was really the start for me. I got admitted to practice while working with that team post my graduate year, stayed there for four years and haven't looked back since then. That is an unusual career path going straight in from university into working in in in-house without doing the more common placement in a law firm. Your whole career you've worked in in in-house roles. This is somewhat rare So why do you think it's played out that way for you? Is it the fact that you were unsure? Yeah, I think so. I I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I, as I said, I sort of fell into legal practice in some ways. I didn't 
feel like my personality was right for private practice. I kind of felt like that environment and that world of to be honest, I didn't really know it, but my perception of it was that it was a bit stuffy. It wasn't a great fit. And so that's why I avoided it to start with. The sort of 15 years since uni for me has been a bit unusual, not only because I've been in-house, but I've had a a mix of legal and deliberately non-legal roles. So I've probably spent five of those 15 years in non-legal roles. And all of the roles that I've taken up have been in the the public or not-for-profit sectors. And I think perhaps I'm paper for some people that kind of makes my legal career perhaps a little bit unimpressive or uninspiring but there are things that I think I've taken from that experience and that variety that I've really sought out I'm probably in a bit of theme of not wanting to commit to anything in particular too deeply that have really shaped I guess the lawyer that I am today and taken me to the role I'm in where I have this unique mix of experience and skills perhaps I have a slightly different approach to many other lawyers because I understand what it's like to be a client of an in-house lawyer and and what it feels like to get really good advice and maybe not so good advice. But I also have this ability to get across new topics and subject matter quite quickly and synthesize information and problem solve because I've sort of had to and put myself in that position. So yeah, I do think I've probably had a slightly unusual career to date, but I wouldn't trade it in for the world. I've really enjoyed it. And what's interesting is that you have opted for the non-legal roles. Was that deliberate? Yeah, it was. Kind of my first legal role was in the Department of Transport in the commercial legal team. And what I enjoyed about that, though I didn't really know until I started, was the transactional nature of it. I liked working on contracts and big infrastructure projects and the opportunity that you get in-house to see big projects or transactions kind of from start to finish and the the wheeling and dealing that goes with that. I went and did a few other things and then I found myself back in the Department of Transport and I applied for a role in the kind of team that that manages the contracts that I'd been drafting and working on previously. And so there are a couple of things that were a bit odd about that. The first was I was suddenly the client of the team that I'd started in and a lot of the people that I'd worked with as a graduate were still in that team and I kept in touch with them, but it changed our relationship and it changed the way I perceived their work and my work. I really liked the idea of having to be the decision maker and the responsibility and the freedom that comes with that. And so I guess what I've taken from that is an understanding of what it means to look at risk and options and not just look at them on paper, but understand what it means to actually make the call and have to live with the consequences of that. And I think the more that I did that, the more I enjoyed it. But I also really liked the fact that my law degree was in the background. I was still working with contracts and negotiations and all of that sort of stuff. I wasn't necessarily sure I was going to go back to practicing law, but life happens, things change, and and that's where I've ended up. And I think I'm a better lawyer because I've gone and done things like that. Mm. It's interesting because it does give you that other lens, uh, having gone to the other side. So you've worked both in government and in social enterprises, often going back and forth between them. Is there any type of commonality between those two types of work? I think there is. I think the commonality is probably the way that you look at the value proposition of what organisations and people do in those two sectors. So outside of the commercial space, it isn't just about the P&L. Sometimes value and cost and opportunity is about timeliness of delivery or perhaps the way or type of delivery for services or projects. And I like the balancing and the complexity that comes with that. 
But I also think that there are a lot of skills that we all develop in our careers, whether they're legal or not, that are fully transferable. And I think when I first started as a graduate, I remember my job interview and one of the older lawyers was kind of saying, you know, if you go into government, don't be worried that you can never get out. Things have changed. It's not quite as restricted anymore. And I, it had never occurred to me at that point. And I think that's probably true. I don't think that it's as hard to jump between sectors and industries as it was perhaps not even 15 years ago, but 20 or 30 years ago. And it is because I think as a society, we've realised that a lot of our professionals, whether you're lawyers or not, bring a whole range of soft and flexible skills that can be applied in different ways. No, I agree. It has become a lot more fluid in just even the last decade. One of the other things that I wanted to ask you was, was there a moment or a turning point in your career when you figured out you wanted to focus on working in-house for social enterprise? You know, I get asked this a little bit and I I wish I could say, yes, there was this lightning moment where I realised, you know, I could do good and I wanted to be altruistic. But unfortunately for me, that's probably not happen. I enjoy the subject matter and I enjoy the challenge that comes with the industries that I'm I'm working in or the sectors. But probably I don't have this sort of deep desire to do a particular form of good that you often hear people who focus in the the kind of charitable sector. That said, particularly at Movember, I have the opportunity to work on things that I wouldn't get to work on anywhere else. And and that's one of the things that has probably kept me in that kind of public and not-for-profit space that I just enjoy being stretched and doing different things and variety and and in these sectors where you don't have the luxury of a lot of resources around you, it's not just an opportunity, but you've almost got the obligation or the responsibility to do a bunch of things that are maybe a little bit outside of your traditional job remit. Most of us know about Movember, Kate, but for those of us who don't, can you tell um, me about the organisation? Sure. We see ourselves at Movember as the leaders of the men's health movement. We aim to change the face of men's health, but our focus areas are on mental health and suicide prevention and prostate and testicular cancer. And I guess I should tell you a little bit about the genesis of Movember. It started in 2003 in a pub in Fitzroy here in Melbourne, which I love. Two of our founders, Trav and and Luke, were sitting around. They didn't have any intention of starting a charity or they weren't thinking about men's health. They were just talking about the glorious moustaches of the 1970s between themselves. They're both marketers. They were just having a beer together. And start of November, Trav's birthday is right at the end of November, and they ended up deciding that they would both try and grow the best moustache they could across the month, and it would be kind of judged between their mates on Trav's birthday. That first year, they they kind of had a crack. The next year, they got together with some of their mates. They had about 30 mates. They weren't raising any money. It was just a bigger competition, a bigger party at the end of the month. But there was something special to it. And so the next year, Australia, only 480 people participated and they raised $54,000 for charity. They thought if they were going to do it, they'll do some good. And at the end of that month, they cut a check to the Prostate Cancer Foundation in Australia and another one to Beyond Blue. That's kind of how they chose their cause areas. And the thinking was mental health was emerging as an issue that they were concerned about and committed to. And prostate cancer in Australia is one of the leading, I guess, cancer causes of mortality and ill health for men, but it didn't have the same advocacy or firepower behind it that um, that breast cancer did for women. And so from that time, November has grown. We're in our 20th year this year. It's raised more than $1.2 billion 
for men's health. We are present in 20 countries and we have about 300 staff across the world now. So we've certainly grown in terms of size, but also, I guess, in terms of understanding why and the purpose and the need. And I often get asked, why men's health? And I guess as a female, why I would work in men's health. And I think that's important. We believe at Movember that, you know, men are a really important part of our whole community and healthy men means healthy communities for everyone. But that gendered approach to healthcare is important because we also know that baby boy born today has a life expectancy that's four or five years less than a baby girl. And it's largely because our health systems just don't engage men the same way that they engage women. And that gendered approach is really important to make sure that there is the best clinical quality and survivorship outcomes for men experiencing ill health and to find ways for men to engage with health literacy and take care of their own health and improve it. So that's, a, I guess, a little bit about Movember. What makes us interesting from a legal perspective is we are a global charity. We're non-federated. So we have a single global management team. We have a single global board, but we're operating through seven corporate entities in six different jurisdictions. So me and my team, it definitely throws up some challenges, but that's also part of the fun of it. What a great legacy they have formed, the two founders, and I and I really enjoyed hearing about how it all first started. But to the legal aspect, can you talk a bit about your role as general counsel for Movember and what's unique about working for Movember as a general counsel? Definitely. I reckon I probably have the best job in the world. It's uh is unusual in a in an in-house legal role to be able to work across those 20 countries that we're in. I am really lucky to be supported by a team of both in-house and external lawyers working across the globe as well. We span a, an incredible breadth of, I guess, responsibility. So as general counsel, I'm responsible for you know overseeing and managing the legal function at Movember, but I also look after compliance. I'm a data protection officer. I look after risk governance. I like to say a little bit facetiously, anything that's paperwork-based is probably my bag. And what that means for me is that I'm I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. I get that variety that I kind of love. In terms of how we work as an organisation, my team and I will spend supporting Movember in all of its fundraising and charitable licensing and, and the things that you would expect from a charity. But Movember also has a really active impact driving set of activities as well. So on any given day, I could start the day looking at setting up data governance principles for a clinical cancer registry, considering what it might look like to transfer blood tests and human tissue samples from a university that we're funding in South Africa to maybe a university in in New York. And then I might move on to doing things like making sure that we've got our ASIC registration taken care of or our ACNC registration here in Australia to things as bonkers as we looking at the risk of a fundraiser who wants to free dive underneath an iceberg in Norway. And I love that. You never know what you're going to get every day. But the challenge for my team and I is we have to be pretty agile and pretty willing to take anything on and just solve problems as they come to us. Different subject matter, different jurisdictions. You never sort of get to predict it. And what's the most rewarding part of your role? I think anyone who works at Movember would tell you it's the Movember community. It's really hard to put into words what that means, but 
getting to spend time with the people who support our organisation as well as the incredible bunch of people that work across the globe at Movember, that's definitely the thing that gets me out of bed every day. I think as a lawyer, the thing that I really love about this role and Movember is is that incredible variety and the stretch. The things that come across my desk and have in the last couple of years are things that I just never would have imagined I would work on. And it is those sort of transactional matters I just described, but also things like how does Brexit affect an organisation like ours and how do we navigate through European, UK, global politics? I don't think there are many other jobs or organisations where I'd get the opportunity to stretch like that. And yeah, I wouldn't give it up for the world. And what's one of the most challenging projects you've experienced in this role? Brexit's probably up there for me. I I sort of wasn't particularly au fait with the economics of European Union, but I think the thing that I've enjoyed the most and probably found the most challenging has been looking at our governance practices at Movember. I mentioned earlier we operate through seven entities in six different jurisdictions, but we operate with one board, one consolidated board. And from a governance point of view and as a company secretary, that means every time we have a board meeting, we're actually having seven board meetings at the same time. And it all has to look and feel pretty calm on the surface, but it's a little bit like the duck with the fins underneath, making sure that the right people are in the room at the right time and that minutes are being taken and you're complying with seven sets of bylaws and constituent documents at the same time. We also went through a project to try and harmonise all of those requirements and make it a little bit more efficient on a day-to-day basis. And so the challenge of going through all of those different sets of legal requirements and constituent documents and looking at how we do things and trying to find the sweet spot of how can we do everything the same but meet the different expectations and requirements across different countries and states and provinces. It probably took three years to get to the point where we are today. I'm really proud of the work that we've done there, but the flip side of that is unless you're a lawyer or you're sitting on our board, nobody really cares about it. It's definitely the keeping the lights on sort of work. I can relate working for a a global not-for-profit. So that's a good segue for us. I do want to focus on the not-for-profit aspect. So in 2020, you won the Australian Corporate Lawyer Award for -for Not-for-Profit Lawyer of the Year. Congratulations. What was the experience like? It was great. I think the process of that nomination gave me the opportunity to just stop and pause. I'd been at Movember for a couple of years at that point. 2020 was definitely the year that was defined by COVID and a lot of upheaval for everyone. And so getting towards the end of the year and just stopping for a moment and looking at what I had done in my role, but also what my team had achieved and the impact that we'd had on our organisation and the why for that was probably the most valuable aspect of that process. And I've really tried to take that lesson and and make sure that we stop and pause at least every couple of months to think about what are the things that we're doing that add value and make a difference and keep building that into how we work as a team. So it's always nice to win an award and get a pat on the back, but I think the process to articulate why we felt as a team that we're in the mix of a high-performing team and why I felt like I was doing a good job at that point It's probably more valuable. I agree. I think it is important to pause and reflect because we're with the little mice on the wheel generally and if you don't pause and reflect, you don't realise how far you've gotten. Was it a particular project 
that helped you win the award or? One of the things that we talked about was a bit of an efficiency change and a focus on value as an in-house team. And so what I looked at was over the course of the probably 18 months in the lead up to that nomination, what had I done in terms of building and leading the legal function at Movember? I'd been in the seat for about 18 months at that stage. And we'd really focused on finding better ways to do things and changing the legal function at Movember from one that was necessary because it was to one that was seen as really value-adding and for me as a GC, but also for my team to be at the table in meetings and discussions and really be wanted there because of the value that we were adding. And through the course of the year, what we did was we started to look at, well, what does it mean to provide really good client service internally? What do people need from us and what are they struggling with? And in the context of an organization like ours, as lawyers, we bring a skill set that not many people have. We've got a lot of researchers and we've got a lot of fundraisers. But when it comes to navigating, frankly, bureaucracy and paperwork, that can be quite intimidating and, and also just a distraction that is unwanted. And so how did we show up to combat that, make that feel easy? And what could we do to engage better with our organisation? And I think the work that we did in the lead up to the 2020 awards was really foundational for the culture of our team and our legal function at Movember but it has really defined the last couple of years and we've been on this growth trajectory that I'm really proud of and and still on today. And what has that award meant for the way that you and your team operate? For me, I think the award itself didn't fundamentally change what we had set out to achieve in terms of that value proposition. It was a really nice pat on the back and recognition that we were on the right path and we were on a good path. And I was so flattered by the response by my colleagues and peers at the ACC at the work that we've done because we felt like we were doing good work. But it's quite another thing for other people to to acknowledge that and sort of, I suppose, confirm what you hope you're doing is good work. I think the other thing that it did for me and for our team was just help raise our profile a little bit internally. We had a really good reputation and I feel like we're quite a well-loved team anyway, but it was really nice to be able to say, There are a whole bunch of NFPs and other in-house lawyers around that think we're really good and join us on this journey and help us continue to be really good. And I've really appreciated that. I think it's one of the reasons why being connected to the ACC has been really value-adding for not just me, but my team, because it's allowed us to keep looking at continuous improvement and learning from what other people are doing and and network. And what makes working for a not-for-profit different from any other organisation? It's probably defined by the kind of lack of resources you've got. We want to put every donor dollar that we have at Movember into impact driving activities and that doesn't mean paperwork. But what that does mean is that we have to be really smart and efficient about how we do things. And that includes being mindful of what we brief out. You have to be aware of your own limitations. And there are things that are highly technical that just make sense to get experts to do. They're better at it than we are. But you also have to be prepared to roll up your sleeves and problem solve your way through things if you can do it internally. It gives you the ability to definitely have variety in your day if that's what you like. And if you don't like variety, the NFP sector is probably not for you, I would suggest. But you have to be a jack of all trades and you have to be willing to do things that 
maybe connected to legal practice, but are just outside the bounds of it. You have to be willing to talk about commercial decisions, but also be mindful of where the line is around being an advisor rather than self-instructing. Taking that point a little further, what are the biggest challenges that you face working in a not-for-profit? I think it's also the strain on resources. I mentioned that we are an organisation that doesn't have a huge amount of people with the kind of technical skills that me and my team bring to the table. But what that does mean is we're often called upon to fill in gaps in terms of commercial capability, leading negotiations, solving problems that feel like they're paperwork-based but we all know aren't particularly legal. And you have to be very mindful of where the boundaries are because before you know it, you're suddenly self-instructing all of the time and perhaps at risk of crossing lines around when can I do legal work that affects our international subsidiaries without crossing the line of practicing outside a jurisdiction that I'm that I'm registered in. Mm. We've mentioned your team on a number of occasions, but I wanted to know the size of the team. It flexes a little bit. So we're a pretty small team in terms of in-house employees. I've got amazing managing legal counsel here in Australia that works with me. And then there are two other legal counsels based in our UK office. Between the four of us, we also look after my members' North American offices in LA, New York and Canada. But we are also supported by ongoing retainers with a couple of law firms in different jurisdictions. So we work with Hive Legal here in, in Australia and they are very kind to us. They flex up and down as we need it. As you imagine at November, we have very busy periods, sort of September to December, and then things get a little bit quieter. There isn't a kind of constant hum of work. And we have similar arrangements with law firms in the United States and Canada, across Europe as well. So all up, we've got a pretty big team, but there's really that core team of four of us sort of always on and always working for November. We're nearing the end of the podcast, so this is a quick fire round. I've got eight questions that I'm going to ask you in a in rapid succession. The rules are you have 10 seconds to answer each question and you have to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, gosh, okay. Let's go. The first question, if you met your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give them? I'd start with stop wearing purple jeans Um, and I think I'd probably tell myself to worry less, go with the flow. What is one skill you've really had to develop through your in-house role? Really strong, flexible communication skills, learning to speak to different audiences and meet people where they're at. Where do you go to upskill? Probably everywhere. I'm really lucky to have a strong network of people I've worked with in the past that I really respect and ask a lot of questions every day of. I do a lot of CPD, often on demand these days, and I kind of like to receive the ACC newsletter every week because it gives me a few just little breadcrumbs into places I can go and read as well. Who's someone you really admire? Oh, there's lots of people I admire in the Movember space. I'm really lucky to work with an incredible board of directors and a CEO and exec team that are all pretty dynamic. I think I've been really lucky to work with a bunch of lawyers in my time who are all pretty talented as well. So right from my first principal to a boss I I worked with while I was at Beyond Blue, who's one of my best mates now, sort of heaps of lawyers, lots of different reasons for it. Very lucky. What's one item on your bucket list? 
travel to Japan is on the bucket list for sure. Me too. What's your favourite hobby? Probably music. Love to listen to it, muck around with it. Anyone that knows me day to day will know I generally have a set of headphones around my neck probably about 16 hours a day. What are you reading at the moment? Actually, I'm not one of those people that reads for pleasure, which I'm a little bit ashamed of. But over the holidays, I read, I caught up on Bob Woodward's book, Rage, about the Trump administration. And I know we're all a little bit sick of that particular administration, but I'm, I'm always fascinated by Bob Woodward's kind of approach and the angles he picks when he's looking at leaders in particular. I'll put that on my list. What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I'm not a morning person. The first thing I do when my alarm goes off is I hit snooze about six times in a row. And then when I eventually get up, I'm definitely in the shower and out the door. I'm one of those people that I don't want to be out of bed unless I really have to be. Thank you so much, Kate, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and also getting to a better understanding of Movember. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ingrid. You've been listening to In-House Insiders, a podcast about the stories, challenges and lessons learnt by Australia's top in-house legal professionals. In-House Insiders is produced by the Association of Corporate Counsel. ACC's purpose is to support the professional and business interests of in-house counsel through information, education, networking and advocacy initiatives. I've personally been an ACC member for 15 years and I continue to remain a member for the fantastic peer networking opportunities I get and the access to tailored CPDs that cater for every stage of an in-house lawyer's career. If you're not a member already, you can join me and over 45,000 other in-house counsel from around the world. For more information about ACC or to join, please visit the website acc.com. This has been In-House Insiders. I'm May Ramsey and I'll speak to you next time.